we, we read um, different kinds of literature differently, don't we? If, if we're reading a map or a telephone directory, then we want to be quite literal about what's said. Whereas if it's a piece of science fiction, well, that won't be anything like the same. The Bible has lots of different kinds of and styles of literature, and we need to bear that in mind when we come to use the Bible, when we look to understand it. A lot of mistakes, a lot of wrong interpretations and misuse of the Bible stem from that kind of failure to realize that there's all kinds of different material and styles of material. So, for example, there are parts of the, the Christian church who um, give unqualified support to the unqualified political support to the nation state of Israel uh, and, some kind of, and it's some kind of misreading of Old Testament prophecy uh, which they are applying as if it was some kind of literal transfer of Israel then to Israel now. Um, uh, on the other hand, there are some who for example, look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which is clearly an eyewitness account. And then they say, well, actually what happened was that the crowd were shamed by the little boy offering Jesus his loaves and his fish, and they, they got their packed lunches out and shared the packed lunches. It wasn't a miracle that Jesus did in the sense of making lots of food from loaves and fishes. It was a miracle of people sharing. That's not what the story says. Jesus can do miracles. Jesus did do miracles. And it's, as I say, it's clearly an eyewitness account. So we have to try to understand what, what kind of literature is this that we're reading. And when we come to the book of Proverbs, we're really in the realm of dealing with poetry because the Proverbs are really the, the shortest poems and they're basically two lines each where the second line reinforces or, or contrasts with the first. Martin Russell, who was preaching for us last week, Martin explained well what is the nature of, of Hebrew poetry. And in chapters 10 to 30, the, the bulk of the book of Proverbs, we have this string of, long string of, of these two-line poems. And they, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, they, they make different points because circumstances of life change. And so in, in chapter 26, for example, um, not one of the passages we read there, but at 26, verses 4 and 5, in verse 4 it says, don't answer the fool according to his folly. There's no point. He doesn't get it. He won't get it. Whereas verse 5, the very next verse says, we should answer the fool according to his folly, because if we don't, he'll get too big-headed and just keep spouting things. Now, it would be easier if these two verses perhaps weren't side by side, but they are. And it's illustrative of the fact that the Proverbs are making a point that's true in some situations and maybe not true in others. Maybe it's the different point. And the challenge for us is to weave our way to understand what the Word of God requires of us in the different situations of life. Because that is life. It's messy and complicated and changing and confusing. The other week I was um, glad to get part of an interview on BBC Breakfast with the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I was so pleased when he was challenged about where is God and, and all this COVID pandemic. I was very pleased when the first thing he said was, be suspicious of the simple or the pat answers. People who just give tidy answers to everything haven't lived in the real world or are not speaking to the real world. 
And if somebody says, you know, that the Bible gives a absolutely clear 100% um, explanation to why everything occurs, they're just talking nonsense. And if someone says that to you, you could do worse than just simply show them the book of Proverbs. Show them verses, chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, and how they say these two things. It's not the case that life is so simple that a couple of sentences here and a couple of sentences there sorts everything out. Rather, the book of Proverbs calls us to live with the ambiguities of life, to navigate through the alternate courses of action that we might take. And also in the book, the, the themes kind of come and go a bit. It would be easier and tidier, wouldn't it be, if um, all there was a gathering together of all the proverbs that were about money in one place, or all the proverbs that were about family life in another place, or, and so on. But, but in fact, there's a whole mix of themes coming and going. And at first, that seems a bit awkward. But again, that's actually true to life, isn't it? Life is not just a series of discrete moments, but things that interact and interweave with each other. I don't wake up in the morning and then deal with one subject at a time. Something about my marriage, and then something about the money, and then something about how to keep my temper, and then, no, when I wake up in the morning and go into the day, things, things come in, in different ways, at different angles, at different times. The day comes in a state of fluid chaos. And the wise way to deal with life, which has been our theme in, in the book, the wise way of dealing with life is, as I say, weaving and navigating our way through these different things, which come as at different angles at different times, but nevertheless comes down not just to uh, general truths, but what we do in practice. And so the individual proverbs, these individual two-line poems, are really quite specific. Now, I'd like to ask, what, what do you think from chapters 10 to 30? What do you think is the subject that comes up most often? What is the theme that comes up most frequently in these two-line poems. I really wish I had a congregation in front of me that I could, could ask and say, guess, what do you think it might be? Well, actually, what comes up most frequently are proverbs that are to do with what we say. And so we've gathered some of these passages, and by no means all of them, we gathered some of them together in the four bits that David read to us earlier on. And the first point I want to make from these uh, verses about um, speaking, about what we say, is that Proverbs is making it very clear, words do make an impact. And so the rhyme that we heard from childhood, sticks and stones may break my bones, utter rubbish. It doesn't it's not true, is it? It's not true in our own experience. We've been hurt, have we not, by things that people have said. We've been hurt when we've felt that we've been insulted. We've been hurt sometimes to the extent that we've continued to hold grudges. We even have folks not speaking to one another on the basis of what had been said. Members of one family not speaking to another member of the family because of what was said. Of course, words 
make an impact. Of course they hurt. And not just the things that are said in the heat of the moment, not just the things that are said from time to time, but many a life has been hurt and spoiled and maybe indeed even ruined by something being said time and again to someone. You're no good. You're worthless. You don't count. You'll never make anything of your life. That kind of thing said over and over and over again and again to such a degree that people have lost their dignity, lost any self-esteem. People have been given deep insecurities. Words matter. Words make an impact. But we know that words matter, don't we? Not just from the insults or the, the rows that we've hung on to, but, but positively too, the encouraging word cheers us up. How often have you heard someone say something like, oh, I just, that's what I needed to hear. The situation that they're in maybe hasn't changed, but they needed to hear something and it's made them feel different about it. And not just for us as individuals, but, it, but in groups too, we see that the, the bringing together of our voices, the bringing together of our, our words and our noises matter. I don't know if it's true in Scotland, I don't know if it's true anywhere else, but I read during the week that in England, um, in the Premier League of the football, um, this season is the first ever season, and there's been, I think, over 120 seasons before now. This is the first time in over 120 uh, times that the away-from-home team has won more games than the home teams. First time in all these years. Now, why? What's different? No crowds, that's what's different. The home team still has the advantage of the familiar surroundings, the pitches, are different grounds are slightly different sizes, and so the home team's familiar to more familiar with playing on that particular pitch, that particular size and everything else. But that doesn't seem to have been what's made the difference so that 120, for 120 years the home teams have won more games. No, what's made the difference is having the crowd there, having people shouting them on, having people encouraging them. The crowd don't kick the ball, the crowd don't head the ball, the crowd don't trip up opponents, the, the crowd don't take a dive in the penalty box. It's, it's, their, it's their encouragement, it's their noise, it's their voices, it's what's been said and sung and chanted. It's made a huge difference. And incidentally, this is why I think that what we do online and what we do in terms of connecting with church services over the telephone is never ever going to replace the gathering together of the people of God. For when we gather together, our voices can become united, and there's an encouragement and a blessing in that. A number of folks in Claremont or associated with Claremont have been involved with, with praise gathering. And they'll tell you that they're coming together to, to sing together, to bring their voices together, to add their to, to, to and with one another has made such a difference and been such a blessing. What we say, what we sing, what we shout makes a difference. So what then should characterize our words? Well, verse 19 of um, chapter 10, the first of the sections that David read, says that one of the things is that, well, there shouldn't be too many of our words. 
Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. I suppose that's right. I'm a lot less likely to lie. I'm, I'm a lot less likely to exaggerate if I'm saying less, even on the law of averages. And it's a lesson for us to learn that we don't need to be part of every conversation. We don't need to have an opinion on, on absolutely everything. And not every thought that we have needs to be spoken. Verse 12 of chapter 11 recommends pausing. Whoever de derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. They, they, they hold back. My computer at home has a, a spell check, really useful thing, you know, and so when I finish writing a letter or writing a piece, I, I click a button for the spell check and up comes any information about misspelt words, words that I didn't know how to spell or words that I've mistyped. And so I can do the correcting before I, I send out the, the email or send out the letter. Unfortunately, my brain doesn't come with a, a similar um, gadget that stops me before I speak saying, don't say, don't say that, it's untrue. Don't say that, it's unkind. Don't say that, it's unhelpful. But we can learn. We can learn the discipline of thinking before we speak, of thinking before something's blurted out. It's not always easy to do that because life moves fast, conversations move fast, and sometimes something's out there before we've realized or before we've assessed whether it was wise or not to say it. But it's a skill to learn, to build up that, do I really need to say this? Oh, yes, it might be true, but is it going to help? So not too many words, think before we speak. And as I mentioned before, sometimes Proverbs changes its emphasis. I already mentioned that from um, early verses in, in chapter 25. But in, in verse um, 12 of, of that chapter, of chapter 25, Proverbs says, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. So that while it's said in one place, don't speak up too quick, too much or too quickly, here in verse 12 of chapter 25, it's saying, speak up. Speak up because the wise rebuke or the rebuke from a wise judge is a good thing. There are times when we need correction. And there are times when we are not inclined to, to give it. There are times when we don't want to challenge, we don't want to offend somebody, or we don't want to be seen as a, a stick in the mud, and so we don't say, don't do that. Now, of course, there are ways and ways to do this, and it's possible to challenge someone or question someone without it feeling like a slap in the face. So we must be gentle when we're doing the, the I wonder if, the rebuking, the questioning. But truth needs to be spoken with love. In the last few weeks, I've been deeply disappointed um, reading about some leaders in the Christian church, international figures in the Christian church, about whom it's now being discovered after they're dead that there's a whole string of 
abuse in their past, abuse that they've committed. It's been very disillusioning and hurtful. But I've wondered along with that, surely somebody saw something at the time. Surely somebody knew and could have spoken up. Now, I'm not thinking here of the, the victims themselves, because it can be so hard and tough for them to, to speak up. But surely there were other folks around, part of the movement, part of the organization, whose suspicions might have been or must have been aroused. Why didn't they speak up? And even in asking that question, I'm not even sure that I would have done so myself. We don't like sticking our noses in. We don't like getting involved. But Proverbs says that it's a good thing for the rebuke of the wise judge to the listening ear. Some things need to be said. And the previous verse, verse 11 of 25, speaks about our words being timely and apt. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a ruling rightly given something that's good and right for the time. And again, I'm sure you know that from your own experience. Times when something has been said and that's just been right and that's just been helpful at that time. Oh, it might not have been the most profound thing ever uttered. It might not have been something that you've never heard before. It might be something you're very familiar with. But just where you are at that point in time, in that situation, in those circumstances, somebody saying such and such has just felt so good, made such a difference. And so being right and timely and apt with our words is something that Proverbs commends. So they're not over-speaking, but being clear about the times when we should speak up words that are loving and gentle, words that are timely and apt, and so on. There's a lot more said about how we speak in, in these chapters of Proverbs. As I say, it's the subject that comes up most often. But how do we learn to be like that? How do we learn to speak so well and so wisely? It's not a question of great knowledge and great insight. It's not getting a degree in the subject. It's following God's leading, actually. In life's particulars, in the f fluid chaos, in the challenges, how do we know what to say? How, when I'm feeling sorry for myself, how, when I've heard half a story, do I? Because we need to learn. And it's partly about self-control, isn't it? And Back in June, we were looking at a series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 tells us, is, is self-control. So we seek to be led by the Spirit of God. We ask each day at the beginning of the day for the Spirit to be leading us, the Spirit to be guiding us, the Spirit to be helping us. And when we look for the promptings and the guidings of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then Surely, we, amongst other things, we learn self-control, as well as love, joy, peace, patience, and the other fruit. Self-control is what the Holy Spirit teaches us. 
So be open to the Spirit. But also alongside that, let's come back to the main theme of the book of Proverbs and the fear of the Lord. Because it's in a living relationship with the Lord. And if, we, and if we fear Him, if we give Him respect, then we will seek to honor Him and please Him. We'll be listening to Him and for Him. And in doing that, we learn to live the Lord's way. And so these words about words, these words about what we say and speaking, are to say that one, words do matter. They matter a lot. Two, we learn to speak in a godly way with some of these characteristics that the book of Proverbs teaches us. And three, we learn that not by some intellectual flights of fancy, not simply by um, trying harder, but by following the lead of the Holy Spirit and living in the fear of the Lord so that we won't want to upset Him. We won't want to disappoint Him. As a father um, who was living when there was more than one child at home, let me just say that on occasion, some things were being said between the two that weren't just quite what I wanted to hear as a father. Well, similarly, when we say things or when we don't encourage and don't speak up when we could and should, that's disappointing for our Heavenly Father. But if we respect Him, if we reverence Him, if we live in that fear of the Lord, we won't want to do that, will we? So let's ask for His help. Let us pray. Gracious God, through your Holy Spirit, help us to be more aware of your presence. Help us to be more aware of you with us and you among us. Help us to rely on you and be led by you. And Lord, might that cause self-control to, to grow in our lives. Help us to nurture that fruit of the Spirit so that we're not hasty and rash not just in what we do, but also not hasty and not rash in what we say. And remind us, too, of our family responsibilities to live as your people, to show you reverence as our Heavenly Father for how we care for, how we treat, how we speak to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.